Hey folks, and welcome back to the Blue Light Podcast. I'm Brendan from Blue Light, and if you've not listened to one of these before, then you won't know how, over the past several years, I've been coaching and supporting people for the police recruitment process. There's well over 7,000 people have been successful as a result of my support. So during these podcasts, what I like to do is share with you topical issues with police recruitment and also give you some guidance on how you can be successful in things like your interview. So pin your ears back, folks. Today, I'm going to share with you some gems of learning from uh, some webinar sessions, interactive webinar sessions I did with my clients for both the final Inforce interview and also for the online assessment centre. So for both of those, you're going to have an interview. And the online assessment centre, it's not really an interview, actually, because you're asked five questions and then you've got to upload your answers to some software. So there's no one at the other end. So it's a really, really weird interview. But um, if you practice for it and prepare for it, then you're going to be fine. So what I'm going to do in this podcast is share some of the questions that were asked in the webinars and with permission of the individuals involved as well. I'll just use their first names because that's not going to identify them in the global world that we're in. But I do have their permission to share the learning um, and we're going to give you a bit of a description of the sort of answers that they gave and how they can be improved. And from this, you should be able to take out some really valuable learning that you can apply to your interview. And actually, you know, this isn't just for police interviews. This is for any interview, for any career, for any job. So if you know anyone who's got an interview coming up, then please do make them aware of this podcast uh, and also make them aware of something on Facebook that I'm doing. Uh, which is, you know, it's a bit of an experiment to start with, but it's starting to really get some traction now. So if they go to Facebook and look for The Interview Hacker, uh, there's both a page called The Interview Hacker, and also there is a Facebook group called The Interview Hacker. That's me, by the way. Because what I've done over the years to help people is I've literally hacked the process. So I can take a look at the competency and values framework, and I can work out from that what the questions are going to be. And I've started to look at job descriptions for a whole range of things, probation services, teachers, firefighters, admin university. It doesn't matter. I can just take a look at the job description. And from that, I can pretty much predict what the questions are going to be. So anyway, back to what we're doing today. So today I'm going to share with you some learning from some of those questions that I predicted. And so far, so good. Thousands of people have come back to say that yeah, those questions were spot on, Brendan. How did you do that? Anyway, so let's uh, let's start off with Will. So Will was asked a question about a time when he'd made a difficult decision where he had to account for that decision to others. This is a really, really common question. So he used the Salku process, and you can hear about the Salku process of the structure for answering questions in previous podcasts. And... He did really well, actually. He had all the ingredients there. Everything was there. It was really detailed. All, all, everything was there. The answer was about four minutes long, which is about right. Uh, but one of the things he started doing towards the end is he kept saying things like, we decided to cancel. Uh, we decided to do. We didn't have. And uh, at the very end, we gave the rationale and, and we told others about the decision. Now, there's a big problem with this, because if you start saying we, the assessor, the interviewer, doesn't know whether it was someone else who did those things or you. 
So what we've got to do, and I know it's really difficult because so many of you work in teams. And if you work in a team, you get so used to using the phrase we to talk about the team collectively, the team's efforts and the, the things that the team has done. And you start talking about we. What you've really, really got to do is, is talk about what you did as part of that team. Not just what you did, but how you did it. So really valuable learning there for Will, because this was for an online assessment centre, which means that the assessor can't stop them. So if I was interviewing someone and they kept saying we, I'd probably interrupt them and say, I'm just going to stop the stop you for a moment, if you don't mind, because you keep using the phrase we, but what we're really interested in today is what you did, what you did as part of the team. But for an online assessment process, you can't do that. So there's no one there to correct you. There's no one there to help you through the process. And so the assessor, at the very end, if they wanted to be pernickety, could not mark you at all for the the claims of what you've done and how you've done those things. So really important. Let's um, get rid of the word we in our answers. The other thing about Will's um, answer was... You know, it's a banker, this one. You are going to get asked this question in any kind of interview for the police, and it's a very common question in other areas as well, so other careers, because making difficult decisions is a key competency, a key value that you need to demonstrate. Now, Will had practised this about six times, and you could tell he'd practised it, but it came across as being very rehearsed. Now, one of my clients recently failed her final interview and the feedback that she got was that she came across as being too rehearsed. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, but Brendan, you're always telling us that the hard work is in the rehearsal. Yes, it is. The hard work is in the rehearsals. The hard work is in your practice that you do so that on the day you can sound prepared as opposed to rehearsed. Does that make sense? You don't want to sound rehearsed. You don't want to sound as though you are doing some bad acting in front of them. It needs to be real, authentic, emotional. It needs to be the real, authentic and emotional you. So sounding prepared is great. You know, I want people to come to an interview prepared. I don't want people sat there going, oh, I can't think of anything, actually. Well, why do I want to be a police officer? I'm not really giving it much thought. <laughs> That's an extreme. <laughs> That's an instant fail. But if you sound too wooden and too rehearsed, I'm, I'm going to sit there and think, do you know, I'm not sure if we're getting the real person here. I'm not sure if we're getting the real them. So I'd be tempted to fail you. So there's some good learning there. And and then over to uh, Dewey, who talked about a Gucci job. Now, he didn't call it a Gucci job. It's what I call them. Um, this question was about, can you tell me about a time when you've taken ownership re- for resolving a problem alongside others? Um, this individual works in the uh, prison sector as um, I'm not going to say what role he is because that that could help identify him I'm not going to do that but um, with his permission I can talk about this example and he gave an example of a prisoner in the prison who'd barricaded himself into the cell and I can imagine it because I've seen things like this happen in the police cells really really difficult to resolve Um, but he in his answer again everything was there all the structure was there but what essentially he told me was how he did his job how he just did his job he just followed policy and the things that he did with other people were very much about giving someone a very clear direction to do something and it was very simple and it was over quite quickly now the the problem with this is it doesn't really allow you to 
give a full description of how you interacted with other people, how you persuaded other people to get involved, how you delegated to other people, how you sought advice from other people. All of that makes for a really good answer around taking ownership for a problem and working alongside other people. When you're dealing with this kind of incident, which is very much uh, fast time, it's happening now and it's over in five or ten minutes, and there's not much dialogue between you and your colleagues, then although it's really exciting, you are not really demonstrating the skills that they're looking for in terms of how you work alongside other people. So it's back to the drawing board for Dewey. And the reason why I call them Gucci jobs is because... Yeah, that's a hangover from being in the police, actually. You know, a lot of um, roles within the police were referred to as, that's a real Gucci role, that. You know, being a detective was a real Gucci role. Being a special branch was a real Gucci role. Um, certain types of incidents were a real Gucci job because, you know, this is the sort of thing we want to do. And I can remember from my inspector's board way, way back in the day, I, I can't remember what the original questions were, but I gave two answers. Uh, one of them was about a hard stop that I um, took control of, um, a hard stop by firearms officers on a vehicle that had four individuals who were suspected of having been involved in an armed robbery. And I, I coordinated the whole thing and brought in the firearms officers in conjunction with the silver commander in the control room. And I thought it was great. You know, this was awesome stuff. This is what we joined the police for, getting the bad guys, and they got arrested, and it was actually them. So, you know, we got all the stuff all the stuff that they used to commit the armed robbery, all the weapons. We got what they stole. Uh, they were down on the ground with firearms officers pointing guns at them and people coming out of their houses thinking, what's this? And some of them remonstrating. And awesome incident. And, we, got, you know, the bad guys went to jail, as the, as the cliche goes. Um and the other example I gave was how one of my acting sergeants, I was a temporary inspector at the time, one of my acting sergeants was having some difficulties at hospital to do with a maternity case. Um, a paternity case, uh, you know, uh, who should have rights for this child that's just been born two days ago. So the father was there, who was estranged from uh, Mrs. Mum. Um, the head nurse and the, the ward was starting to get a little bit uh, tired and frustrated with the sergeant uh, social services had fallen out with him it was all going pear-shaped and he asked me for to attend it to see if I could support him and help him one hour later we came to a negotiated settlement in terms of what's going to happen next uh, the nurse was happy the social worker was happy sergeant was happy mum was happy um, dad wasn't but <laughs> dad had no right to be there so dad was shooed off um and I gave that as an example of how I interacted with people and how I um, worked towards an aim that was uh, more than satisfactory for most parties and allowed the sergeant to save face, essentially, and allowed the nurse to save face. A compromised position. And it took about an hour to work out, and it was really quite challenging. Now, out of those two, which one do you think was the one that impressed the board the most? Yeah, you probably guessed it, because I'm talking about don't pick the Gucci jobs. Um, the firearms one scored the lowest. That was my poorest example I gave on the whole board. I passed it, by the way, because I used a lot of the techniques that I've been developing here, the, the ones in their infancy. So I didn't use Star, I used something different. It was um, it was something that uh, wasn't Salku, but it was on its way to becoming Salku. So um, I'd already started to think about how I can improve my interview uh, practice so the the interview itself went awesomely but 
you know, all the structure was there, the way I communicated was there, you know, I was told that I'll get informed uh, later on that day whether I passed or not, but on the way out, one of the superintendents gave me a nod and a wink, so I pretty much knew I'd passed. It felt good as well. But the problem was, is one of my answers was a Gucci, a Gucci job, and that scored really poorly, because bottom line, I was just doing my job. Whereas at the hospital, I was giving 120%. I know I was asked to do so by the sergeant, but I really gave 120% to find an outcome that was more than satisfactory to most of the people there. So I hope that's making sense there. Gucci jobs, try and avoid them if you can. Uh, same goes for things like first aid. You know, great, you save someone's life, but, you know, it wasn't really a difficult decision. Often people give that one as a difficult decision. No, it wasn't difficult. You either save the life or you don't. Uh, another example that springs to mind, another Gucci job, a uh, paratrooper who has coaching, a corporal in a paratroop regiment, I mean, kudos to him, uh, talked about an incident where uh, an uh, improvised explosive device went off in front of uh, uh, a VIP escort that he was in command of, and, and then there's a reversed one went off behind them, and, and uh, there was small arms fire and all sorts of stuff, and it just sounded incredible. I was picturing it in my mind, thinking, this, this, this feels like something from a movie. It was so exciting what he was saying. But it didn't tick any of the behavioural boxes at all in terms of decision-making because he followed the process that he was meant to follow. And he didn't involve other people and he didn't have to account for his difficult decision. And actually, it was an awesome, awesome what he did. It was, it was you know, tea and medals next day with the colonel. It was, it was that kind of proper stuff, except that as an answer to a question to get into the police, it would not have scored very highly. So, um, moving on then, moving on. So, Stuart uh, was asked a question about integrity. Can you tell me about a time when you have done the right thing, even when doing nothing would have been easier? And so, he gave an example of um, at the factory he works at, where he's a supervisor. Um, I really don't understand what it was they made, because he, get, he went all tech on me. And then he went even more tech on me. He was talking about critical faults and deviation forms and technicians and uh, some specs for something. And, and I, I, I just got lost. It was all about this production line. First minute or two was just, I've actually written my notes here that I'm reading off tech, 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 tech. I don't understand. And then he got to the point where someone was actually breaching comp company policy and the impact of that would have been. So it was good that he talked about the impact. He talked about how the company policy was being breached and the individual was intentionally doing it as well. And then more tech stuff about ISO calls and health and safety and uh, customer standards and, and, and all sorts of stuff that I just didn't understand again. And the actual part that was the interesting part, where he challenged the inappropriate behaviour, where he did the right thing, even though doing nothing would have been easier, because clearly some people had let this slip before, is what he was saying, was about 20 seconds long. And that's the bit that they really want to know about. That's the bit they really want to know about. So in the debrief, what we did is, what we did is I focused him on the actual, something I call the seven levels of how. Oh my goodness, we've got some interesting background noise going on there. I'll just share with you that I've got builders in our house and there's builders next door. There's no right time to do this podcast. Um, so excuse the background noise. Um, all right, so what we did is something called the seven levels of how. And the seven levels of how is a really, really interesting way of finding out exactly how someone dealt with something. Now, I think I'll save that one for another time because it's um, almost subject of half a podcast on its own. But what essentially we're doing is we're drilling down into the detail of how something was actually done. 
So, so far, so good. Um, I hope you can still hear me okay. It's just, you know, this is this is a world we're in now, isn't it? You know, you see it on the news, don't you? Someone's uh, reporting live from Washington, and there's a drill that suddenly goes off next to them. Someone decides, all right, it's a good time to start drilling the road now. <laughs> They're shouting over their microphone. Um, or you've got Parliament, where there's always that bloke that shouts, Stop Brexit! Or used to. I think he shouts something else now. Anyway, in the background here, we've got... Do you know, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Some big noise. Anyway, let's should we put? Let's push on. Let's push on. This is the real world we're in now. The real world. Um, so the next one was uh, Paulie, who talked about um, delivering the best possible service. You know, she. The question was, can you tell me about a time, about a time when you've delivered the best possible service? Uh, this is a question that could be asked for any sector any sector at all because in any role that you're going into in any career you're going to be offering the best possible service to either internal customers or external customers uh, the people you work with or the people who are actually real real customers who buy stuff off you so uh, Polly is a debt collector and she talked about an incident where she was uh, going to a hotel to collect a debt and uh, turn the water off and all sorts of other stuff because it was a water bill and she had a court order to do so and and she gave such a, w- a wonderful account. There's this fantastic story behind it. Um, but at uh, 2 minutes 20, she's still talking about what she was hoping to achieve. Um, at 4 minutes 15, she started to talk about what she actually did. There was so much detail in the beginning. She talked about the situation in so much depth. She talked about the impact on others in so much depth. She talked about her aim and the options she considered and why she chose the option that she did and the information that she collected and detail, detail, detail. Now, I love detail, but this was too much detail. So at 4 minutes 40, she talked about how she actually found the underlying problem. And of course, this is for the online assessment centre where the, the clock stops at five minutes. You can't go any further. That's it. It just cuts you off. And so at five minutes, I just cut her off, and she is just getting into the good stuff. So the problem here is too much detail, too much detail. Now, it's the opposite of what I normally see. So we started to think about how could we help Polly to make sure that she cuts down her story to something that's got all the essentials in it, but still... Um, is sufficient for five minutes and no longer because if, if she continued it probably would have been like an eight or nine minute answer and even if that was at a final interview you would have had an interviewer saying can i just move you along a little bit to the point where you actually did what you your the actions you took and so what we decided on was post-it notes um i was a, a staff officer to an assistant chief constable many many years ago uh, when i was a sergeant in 2000 the year 2000 i think it was uh, so 20 years ago uh, 2000 2001 and um, the briefings I used to give him about any document, I called them post-it note briefings because I used to stick a post-it note on the front of whatever the document was and I used to summarise it on a post-it note. And what I used to say to them is that you don't need to know anything more than what's on the post-it note. A post-it note briefing. So you have a small post-it note and that's going to keep poorly focused. So the situation part, one post-it note. The aim, one post-it note. The options, one post-it note. The actions she took, the what and the how. Okay, I'll let her use two post-it notes for that one, or maybe a push three, because that's the big part of your answer. Uh, The result, one post-it note. The learning, 
one post-it note, the knowledge and understanding why this links in with the police, this behaviour is so important to the police, one post-it note. And by doing that, what Paulie will be able to do is to practice and prepare so she doesn't sound rehearsed and that she can nail it in five minutes. All right, folks, so how are we doing so far? Is this all making sense? I hope so. And by the way, you know, please do let me know if this helps you. Um, I've got to do a big shout out to Bill who is now a superintendent. Uh, Well done, Bill. But Bill um, emailed me uh, just yesterday to say how uh, it came across my podcast, and even though they were targeted at those people who are going through the police recruitment process, he listened to lots of them where I talk about interview skills, especially the Sal Koo model. And he also listened to my podcast around uh, Dave Thompson, Chief Constable Dave Thompson's um, Reform Think Tank paper around the role of the citizen post-pandemic. So he said, I listened to all of those. I listened to your Salku model, and I just thought that was awesome. Um, first time I've gone for the rank of superintendent, used the Salku model, nailed it. I am now a superintendent. So well done, Bill. Um, it works. The system works. I told you, it works, it works, it works. All right, well, let's share one or two more, because I'm just looking at the time now. We're at about 20 minutes, and I'll finish it around 25 minutes, if that's okay. So a couple of more examples from, at least there's actually a final interview webinar. Um, let's see what we can talk about here. All right, yeah, Jess gave a really good example, which was awesome. You know, as, as th- she does um, volunteers at a dog rescue shelter, and what a great story she gave about the... Uh, how they managed to uh, the demand there's massive demand on their services and how she took control of it Uh, but one of the things that she did is she gave three specific examples within one answer and i just got a little bit confused so she talked about the uh, conflict that existed in the team. Uh, she talked about how people dropped out, how they managed that. Uh, she talked about how they came up with, uh, that she came up with, because actually, you know, Jess was the same. She used the phrase we. I've actually circled them here. Uh, she used the phrase we seven times and didn't use the phrase I once. All right. In the debrief, we actually found out it was Jess that did those things. Uh, but seven we's, no eyes whatsoever. So that's the wrong balance. You could perhaps get away with one or two we's, but and and if you've got like seven or eight eyes, but not the other way around. So this was a really interesting example that she gave because she'd done so much in the volunteering that she wanted to include everything. But that just would confuse and it actually diluted the excellent detail that she had. So what she had to focus on was just one specific thing you can't talk about everything and this is where you've got to be economical with what you've been doing in the past and just focus on the things that are going to allow them to score you well against the behavioral competencies so that's uh, that was really interesting um what else have we got what else have we got all right oh yeah so uh, why do you want to be a police officer james gave this great account of why he wanted to be a police officer uh, kept talking about people who he'd met uh, people who he's related to, who had inspired him. But the bit that was missing was, what was it that was inspirational? So that's well worth putting down. If you're going to give an account and leave people hanging like that, then they're going to come back to you if it's a final interview and say, so you mentioned these people inspiring you so much. What specifically was it that inspired you? What values did they espouse that inspired you so much? So let's do that now in the interview as opposed to saving it for the interviewer to ask those questions of you. 
Um, and that's about it, really. I've got another one for you about difficult decision, but actually, it just it, it's another. I'm just looking at the notes here again. Great example from Lucy. Fantastic example about how she challenged someone who came into work who said they'd taken cocaine the night before. She worked in a restaurant, so that was a big no-no. Um, uh, but the very the the very part where she talked about the decisions, she went into we mode again. So we decided the risk was too high. We decided about the it would have impact on the reputation of the company. We decided that she'd have to go home. So again, there's no I in there. So this is so common, actually. So I've just if there's one message I can give you from this podcast, it is that there is no we. There is only I. So when you're going for your interview, there is no we, there is only I. So looking at the time, I said I'd nail this in 25 minutes. Look at the time now, it's 24 minutes and 35 seconds, and there's no background noise. (laughs) All the background noise is gone now. Well, that's good, isn't it? So my apologies from the real life building work that's going on around us. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please do tune in to the next one. The next one is probably going to be an in conversation with. Looking forward to tonight um, a webinar. You may be listening to this after it's happened, but you'll be able to watch the replay on YouTube, and you'll be able to listen to the replay on a podcast. It's a in conversation with retired Superintendent Cathlow from Thames Valley Police, where she's going to talk about ninety-four years of police service, ninety-four continuous years. No, not Kath. Kath did 30. Uh, But she's going to talk about her grandfather and how her uncle followed on from her grandfather and how she followed on from her uncle. And 94 years of police service. It's going to be amazing. I'm really looking forward to that. So that's probably going to be the next podcast. I hope you look forward to it. And if you've got any questions or any ideas for podcasts, please do let me know. And if you're not part of the blue light community then please do join us uh, just go to facebook and search for on under groups uh, search for blue light and the words police recruitment and you'll find us over fourteen thousand now we have now tipped over fourteen thousand officers uh, officers future officers actually a lot of them are it's about four thousand of them i reckon are serving officers having gone through the process so over fourteen thousand people who just talk all the time about police recruitment isn't that awesome <laughs> not if you're, if you're not interested in police recruitment no it's not but if you are and if you listen to this podcast then you you probably are and i know many of you um listen to this podcast and you're actually members but if you're not go and find the group and ask to join and i'll see you in there bye bye for now